0: Welcome to China In Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Kerry Gershanik, professor and author of political warfare and media warfare. We also hear from Joshua Phillip, host of Crossroads and senior investigative reporter at the Epoch Times. They touch on the Chinese regime's bid to take down America, not through traditional warfare, but something called unrestricted warfare. How that's playing out and what steps can be taken to counter a threat that may not even be seen let's dive in thank you so much for joining us today great to have you back on the show
1: hey tiffany always a pleasure
2: thank you for having me back on tiffany
0: so recently in the news there's these terms unrestricted warfare and hybrid warfare when it comes to how china kind of attacks the u.s and allies so to begin how would you summarize these terms well, Tiffany,
1: Unrestricted Warfare, you know, is the name of this paper written by four, two former Chinese colonels. Hybrid warfare is the idea of kind of combining different types of unconventional warfare. Uh, but really, when it comes to the CCP's, like, real tactics on this, this is what the idea is. It's how do you achieve the goals of war? Like, you know, what what would you get if you were to conquer another country? Uh, maybe you gain control of their political system. Maybe you can gain control of their economy, their businesses. Maybe you gain control of the population through like media control or something like that. How do you obtain those exact same results through non-military means without engaging in troop-on-troop combat? That's what the idea of this type of warfare is. And so instead of engaging in troop-on-troop combat, where you know the CCP can look at America and say, "Okay, we can't meet them in a head-on, you know, head-on head battle, but we can conquer them through other means." And so basically create the standards of conquering another nation uh, through, through non-military means. For example, uh, foreign investment for the Chinese Communist Party is regarded as a type of you know, strategic uh, tool. And so for the CCP, this is warfare. Media is warfare. Psychology, how you interpret information, is warfare. Uh, legal battles are warfare. In fact, the CCP even has it adopted into its military code, uh, which is the three-warfares doctrine media warfare, psychological warfare, and legal warfare. Uh, They have tools, for example, like the United Front, how to co-opt another country's leadership. How do you gain control of the influencers? How do you gain control of Hollywood? How do you gain control of the hearts and minds of a country? If you look at every single part of what makes a country function, of what makes a nation, whether it's businesses, whether it's academics, whether it's, you know, let's say, our institutions, whether it's politicians or influencers or media personalities even, Uh, the CCP has methods to target them. And for them, this is warfare, to conquer another nation through non-military means.
2: Basically, fighting without rules goes back thousands of years. And so this concept of unrestricted warfare is new to, say, those of us in democracies, because we work by the rules. We try to. We have international conventions. We have law. And we try to adhere to it to the best that we can, whether that be Japan, whether that be Taiwan, whether that be the United States of America or the European Union. We do try. Under unrestricted warfare, which is the thought process that is clearly guiding the Chinese Communist Party, there's no rules. There's no restraint. And so that's that's what we mean by unrestricted warfare. Unrestricted warfare applies to all kinds of warfare, Tiffany.
0: Kerry, you kind of mentioned the history of where these terms come from, but how far back does it go?
2: You could go back to Clausewitz or you could go back 2,000 years in Chinese history. Um, there's always references to where somebody used a stratagem, somebody, somebody did something that was unexpected by their, uh, their adversary. So you know, tr- tracing it back to our modern history, the reason this becomes prominent in, on the, the Chinese Communist Party's radar screen um, is that in 1991, for the generation that wasn't born thirty three decades ago, 30 years ago, uh, we had the Gulf War. And in the Gulf War, the United States and the coalition partners uh, demonstrated devastating capability to use combined arms, uh, military uh, warfare, uh, command and control, uh, the, the satellites, everything that we brought to bear on every level, cyber, everything was brought to bear, and it was a crushing defeat for the Iraqi army, which was one of the largest militaries in the world at the time. This really caught the attention of the People's Liberation Army and and the Central Military Commission and and the Politburo, because they had been sort of drifting along with this People's War concept and sort of slowly modernizing. But after 1991, the Gulf War uh, victory, the PLA and the CCP put a lot of effort into studying how the U.S. and the coalition partners won such a devastating victory. And number two, what they needed to do to defeat us, because the ultimate goal even then, as we we well know, was to to move the United States aside, not just move it aside as the the world hegemon, to use their terminology, uh, but to, uh, to take that place and actually to destroy, defeat the United States of America. So that's why in 1999, eight years after the Gulf War, this book comes out not as a doctrinal publication. It comes out more uh, th- through a publishing house that's really for PLA entertainment. But it resonates so powerfully in the Chinese Communist Party and the leadership and across China itself, because this is the means to defeat the United States of America, This this uh, using any means available. Then there was 24 different warfares listed, and that grew uh, over time beyond what the book stated. But we, we can beat the United States by asymmetrical means.
0: Given how many different types of warfare there are, are there any specific examples that we're seeing play out now?
2: Sure, um, in Taiwan, one of the newer terms that, uh, that wasn't listed, incidentally, in the original 24 is cognitive warfare. So the, the PRC has uh, got a major uh, push Uh, to to win on the cognitive warfare battlefield. Now, we'll come back to terminology, Tiffany, because we we tend to trip ourselves up. We come up with way too many terms. So let's focus in on cognitive warfare on Taiwan. Uh, A number of the news media organizations in Taiwan are run by people who are getting their funding from the People's Republic of China. And so you could, the stories that you read, the editorial stances that you see, Tiffany, could have been straight out of Xinhua, okay? Could have been straight off CCTV, because in effect they are. The funding uh, that comes in, the funding that they use to um, from advertising, for example, or they, they, that, uh, they'll, they'll use the business community uh, to affect uh, the, uh, the media organizations. For example, you could have a pro-Taiwan uh, newspaper But if the people who are advertising in that newspaper are pro-PRC, they're going to say fine, we'll pull our advertising, you'll go bankrupt, you'll go out of business. And what you see, and we have seen, both there and in other countries, is the newspaper unfortunately, through moral cowardice, uh, bends. The newspaper will say, okay, fine, we'll change our editorial stance, we want to stay in business, we have mouths to feed. So that's... That's a little bit of lawfare, That's a little bit of um, it's a little bit of media warfare or public opinion warfare, psychological operations. The large number of aircraft incursions uh, in the, the Ty- Taiwan ADIZ, Air Defense Identification Zone, that's psychological warfare. That's designed to wear down the people of Taiwan. It's designed to wear down the pilots and the commanders and the troops of the airmen in Taiwan because they're the ones that have to scramble all the time to respond to this. So psychologically, they're grinding down or they're attempting to grind down the people and the armed forces of Taiwan through that particular psychological warfare operation. There's many more. If you, if you actually read, uh, which I do, the English versions of China Daily and uh, PLA Daily and um, uh, and, and a number of other publications, you can see there's a relentless barrage every day of psychological warfare directed against Japan, psychological warfare directed against the Philippines, so, uh, psychological warfare directed against the, the countries of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Um, it's relentless and it is global, but the psychological warfare is, is a very big element of those three pillars as well.
0: So it sounds like basically winning a battle without even having to go to war and do the traditional kind of fighting. So what are some examples of maybe how we're seeing this play out, especially in America?
1: Well, Tiffany, one of the big, one of the big methods that's playing out is what they call the uh, United Front Work Department. Uh, the United Front Work Department is it, it's a branch of the Chinese Communist Party, first of all. Uh, Mao Zedong called it the magic, one of the magic weapons of the CCP. And the United Front Work Department is a system, a government agency, meant to infiltrate foreign countries, establish networks of influence, and co-opt the leadership or influencers of that country. And so, for example, um, United Front works through what they call tongs. Tongs are like fraternal organizations, guilds, uh, family name associations. These tongs are like the unofficial governing bodies of Chinese communities. I mean, some are good, some are bad. Uh, They're not all the same. The United Front targets them. Once they target them, they gain, control of they gain control of that entire network. Sometimes tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people, depending what it is. Uh, one of the big examples of this is like in New York, we have the uh, Fukian American Association. Fukian American Association is one of, also tied to one of the largest organized crime groups in the world. Uh, that's the Ching Gang, one of the biggest human traffickers like in the world, not even just in the U.S fuk Ching Gang is also one of the CCP's major kind of influenced tongs, Fu, and uh, of course the, uh, the Fukian American Association works as one of their arms to get into political circles and so on. And so they might, for example, go to your local city council member and then do something as simple as inviting him on a trip back to China. He goes on a trip to China, comes back and starts going on TV, talking about how great the CCP is. Behind the scenes, of course, there's been things done to co-opt that official gradually. Sometimes it's through, let's say, uh, blackmail. Sometimes it's through money. Sometimes it's something as simple as just gradually changing their perspectives. Once they do that, they'll start creating policies and taking actions that are in line with the interests of the Chinese Communist Party. And so even though they're like a U.S. official, they begin acting as as an extension or someone in the interest of the CCP. And that's the goal of this.
0: And, Carrie, out of these dozens of different warfares, which one would be the most dangerous but maybe unseen threat to America?
2: The United Front operations, where they they get American institutions, our education institutions, and when we're talking Harvard, we're talking Stanford, we're talking Ivy League institutions and the big names, when they co-opt them through grants um, and where you have professors, you have researchers self-censoring because they know know, there's a price to pay if you don't self-censor about what you're saying about the PRC. Um, That elite capture of academia, of our politicians, through the United Front operations, that's an incredibly serious threat because it's very insidious. It's our own people turning on us in Taiwan, in the United States. So we need to ferret that out and name and shame and prosecute uh, if we have the right laws to prosecute. But the other way that they reach us is uh, we're a highly tech-savvy, you know, Taiwan, especially tech-savvy, the United States, everyone's got their face in their, their iPhones, everyone's on uh, a different social media platform. And so the, um, the cognitive warfare coming at us through uh, the, 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 the online, uh, through the internet, uh, the way that's bombarding us through deep fakes the way it's uh, bombarding us through disinformation, propaganda, um, and, and it's, it, it's done in such a way that a lot of people don't even know that they're doing it. Do you realize, Tiffany, that the PRC even uses TikTok uh, video games and other video games because so many of the video games are developed in the PRC as indoctrination tools?
0: And so, Josh, you helped the Epoch Times create an infographic called China's Secret War Against America. So what is that secret war? Can you walk us through kind of those steps?
1: So that infographic I did, China's Secret War in America, um, took actually all the different types of warfare laid out in the book, Unrestricted Warfare, by two former Chinese colonels, and really showed how the CCP is putting all of those into practice. Because a lot of people who are critical of, oh, that doesn't exist, whatever like that, uh, the grounds they make that claim on is saying, oh, that was just you know a book, just a paper written by these two colonels. Wasn't officially adopted, but the Chinese Communist Party has a program for every single system laid out in that book. Every single thing they propose them doing, they are doing. And so that infographic goes piece by piece and lays out all of those strategies Culture warfare, drug warfare, smuggling warfare, resource warfare, industrial warfare. Uh, it gets into d- three different categories of war: non-military, which is like businesses and you know culture, Hollywood things like that; uh, trans-military, which is a mixture of non-military and military, like cyber attacks for example, and then unconventional military tactics, systems they would use if a real like you know shooting war ever take place with the CCP. And that's things like biological warfare and so on. Uh, It also lays out the different stages of subversion. Uh, Just like the Soviet Union had, of course, what they call ideological subversion, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, of course, based a lot of its systems on the Soviet model. And that works in four different stages. It's the idea of how do you conquer a country through non-military means? And so it starts off on demoralization. You break the will of a country. You make a country stop functioning as it's meant to function. You infiltrate their institutions. You co-opt their businesses. You make their big tech companies, you know, serve the favor of a foreign country. Uh, you, like you look at Nike and these other companies, for example, where they're criticizing America and damning us based on our history, right? Criticizing us while at the same time they're using slave labor in Xinjiang and China, and they don't—they don't dare criticize that, right? It's things like that. Demoralize them, break their will, criticize them, wear out their infrastructures, make the people feel hopeless. That's demoralization. Then there's destabilization. You make their systems stop functioning as they're meant to function. Uh, you can look at the CCP's influence, for example, in some of the different uh, you know grassroots organizations in the U.S. that have played roles in creating instability inside the United States. You destabilize the country. You you create protests on the streets. You manufacture criticisms, you manufacture narratives, you get their institutions to criticize and attack the system. As it starts to wear down, eventually you enter a state of chaos where people are or conflict, where people are fighting on the streets, where where you know there's really no essential rule of law, where you've made it so the country can no longer have any kind of rule of law or harmony among its people. You've broken all the bonds that create a nation, right? Racial harmony, religious harmony, political, you know, politicians actually serving the functions to protect their citizens rather than serving foreign interests, for example, those kinds of things. Eventually, it gets so chaotic that people begin demanding some kind of change. They can no longer live like that. Society no longer functions. The institutions no longer work as they're supposed to. You know, they've been taught to criticize and think badly of everything about their country, whether it's the culture the history or the current system, and they begin demanding a new system. And from that, they move in, and that's what they call normalization, and normalization is where they institute a new form of government, often bringing policies that people would never normally accept. That was the method the Soviet Union used to conquer a lot of different countries. That is the same method that the CCP is applying through this, uh, again, unrestricted warfare doctrine, uh, which we lay out in that infographic.
0: Given the extent of that, what can be done to counter it then?
1: Key is
2: education, always is. Um, We have to play by the rules. We don't, we're we're not going by unrestricted warfare on on our side of the fence, which limits us, of course. But to play by the rules in a democracy, you have to have an educated citizenry. You have to have educated elected officials, educated military officials. And, and I can say on the behalf of the United States of America, we, we haven't done that well in that regard in the 20 years that we've been fighting in the sandbox, fighting in Southwest Asia. Uh, a lot of military officers and the, the, the Pentagon took its eye off, off of this issue. Uh, State Department certainly did. Uh, we, we dismantled... That organization, the United States Information Agency, that was uh, established specifically to to combat um, political warfare during the Cold War, and we don't, we've never built an equivalent organization to take on the, the, the Chinese Communist Party threat, and we're we're paying the price for that. It's it's slipshod. It's it's half it's half-hearted efforts. It's it's fragmented simply because it's not looked at. The threat is not seen holistically. It is not seen in its entirety, and so we're stovepiping responses.
1: Well, on an individual level, again, part of the CCP's strategy is to co-opt individuals. They call this leadership capture. Um, People need to recognize that if the Chinese Communist Party comes to you and invites you on a trip back to China, it's usually done in some kind of nefarious means. Uh, It could be something as simple as someone from a Chinese organization, Chinese Friendship Association. They have many of them. They actually call them friendship associations. Saying, hey, I saw you wrote this article. If you're a journalist, for example, you um, have a bad kind Why don't you come to China and we'll show you around? I would love to sponsor you or something like that, right? It's politicians, for example, getting these invites, and you know they might, for example, because legally they can't just accept it, so they have to pay some money. Maybe they'll pay two hundred dollars for like a week long five-star trip to China, where they're they're getting wined and dined, and they're getting you know, five-star restaurants and fancy hotels and that kind of thing. They should be aware that there's a cost to all of this, that for the CCP, this is war, and you are a tool and a target in that war. They should understand the nature of these things. And frankly, anybody who has accepted these things should either come clean or be condemned for doing it.
0: And, Kerry, until those programs are maybe put in place, what can, say, the average American do to kind of counter this threat?
2: Get educated. Um, start organizations at the grassroots level. We had those before in the United States. Uh, um, the the civil, uh, civil society can do a great deal. I have friends who are holding uh, they're holding discussions in their communities. They're going to uh, parent-teachers associations, are going to, and, and, and speaking on the issue. Um, they're speaking or trying to speak at universities. A lot of universities get funding or through other means are influenced by the PRC, but some universities are open to it, where the Chinese uh, student associations won't shout them down or or, or demonstrate, or, or the Chinese of the Los Angeles Consulate of the People's Republic of China won't make a discreet phone call that shuts down a speaker. They're actually going to universities and, and, and making uh, presentations. Uh, the American Bar Association is getting involved in, in, in getting better educating the lawyers of America now. So, again, we, we've seen some, some good progress over the past four years in uh, the United States in getting better educated. But we are nowhere, Tiffany, uh, at the level we should be.
0: And any last words you'd like to add?
2: It all begins with education, Tiffany. And then again, that's why I'm so grateful that you, you've had me now twice on your show. The, the more we explain this with all the distractions the American people have, the high inflation, the, the rising crime, the, the other issues that we're dealing with as a nation, or we're, we're facing daunting challenges just coming out of COVID uh, right now, but the opportunity to reiterate the existential threat that we face with the People's Republic of China, how they're trying to defeat us through political warfare with the the underlying premise that it's all unrestricted warfare. Anything goes. We can do anything to win. There are no rules. Um, You're allowing us to continue to pursue this and continue to educate the American people and those overseas who are watching your program. That's essential. That is the bedrock foundation to beginning to get organized, to beginning to build that strategy, to begin to detect, counter, and defeat the, the PRC's political warfare against us. Education is the absolute bedrack foundation.
1: Well, Tiffany, I think just last words on this. You know, the Chinese Communist Party's, th- its goal, as it's clearly stated, you can read any of their military documents, is to overtake the United States as the world leader. They don't try to hide this. They regard the United States as the biggest impediment to the CCP's goal, whether it's China 2025, 2030, whatever they want to call it at this point, it's the biggest obstacle in the goals of the CCP to basically overtaking it as the U.S. as the world leader. They want to destroy the United States. They don't even try to hide it. And their military programs, whether it's the one we just talked about, again, the United Front Work Department, uh, whether it's things like their political warfare departments, whether it's their media control, whether it's the tools they use to suppress speech in other countries, uh, to go after businesses, to go after politicians, All of these things have this same goal, to destroy the United States, to help the CCP become the world leader, to replace the United States as the global hegemon, as they would call it. People who go along with this are part of that. They're playing the role in a foreign war against the United States, and it needs to be understood as such.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you on the show.
1: Always a pleasure, Tiffany. Thank you, Tiffany.
0: That was Kerry Gershanik, professor and author of Political Warfare and Media Warfare, and Joshua Phillip, host of Crossroads and senior investigative reporter at the Epoch Times. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer and see you soon.